in a moment, we're going to have the uh, PowerPoint uh, pop-up. And what we're going to be doing for about the next oh, eight or nine weeks is we've done a few things sort of looking exegesis. We've gone through Philippians. We've gone through a bit of Luke and, um, and looked at what the text is telling us. And now we're going to do something a little bit different, which some of you will hate and the rest of you will not like. Um, <laughs> maybe a couple of you will, will, will enjoy it. But I think it's actually a necessary and useful and important thing to do is to think about how we actually come to Scripture and think about the issues that we face. Now, I'm going to say something really harsh for a moment because it seems to be in that time of my, of my life, is that when we come to the Bible, it is really not a helpful thing just to treat the Bible as a series of assertions, which we say yes to, or when it comes to living our lives, a series of commands that we just say, yes, I will do that. And then if we can't find a command, a particular statement to tell us what to do, we're not sure what to do. There are commands in the Bible, there are statements to be affirmed and believed, but a lot of the time there are stories and other uh, genres or other forms of communication that God has with us that draw us into a conversation and that draw us into using our minds, our intelligence, to open our hearts, to open our minds to God and to think through things that sometimes aren't in Scripture. There are a lot of issues and problems and that uh, in the world and the Bible doesn't directly address some of them. Actually, maybe it doesn't even address directly many at all. Our times are quite different to ancient times in Israel, quite different to the ancient times of uh, Jesus in Palestine, of Paul in, uh, around the Mediterranean and the Roman Empire. However, that does not mean, of course, that we are not uh, given resources and that God is not speaking to us. God desires to communicate with us. But as we've said, you know, over a number of uh, weeks in some previous series, God draws us into a covenant relationship with him, which also involves a partnership and a participation in what God has called us to do and to be in the world on his behalf. We are the body of Christ, called to live out in the world the life of Christ as we await his appearing. So we're going to be looking at a few different um, issues. One where you might say the Bible itself seems to generate a problem for us and we want to understand what's going on. Uh, another is a uh, particular problem which um, I guess we share with um, the ancient world. And then another one is a problem that was never envisaged in the ancient world. And uh, those are the issue of how the Bible speaks about women and women teaching. Another one is about the questions of sexuality. And then the other one is the question about living in an age of pervasive technology. Whether it's just social media, whether it's uh, AI, whether it's any of the numerous ways that we live and interact in the world, a technological world, is very different to what we see here in Scripture. Does that mean the Bible has nothing to tell us? Can we learn nothing from a pre-high technological society? Yes, we can. So what we're going to be doing is thinking about how is it that we engage with Scripture? And I'm going to scare you shortly with a diagram, but don't be scared. 
because what, what we're doing and what we've been doing over the last few months is we're doing something for the long haul, okay? What we're doing is not just sort of, like, you know, here's a quick pep, remember God loves you, um, love one another, out you go. I actually want to develop over our time together, I guess, some of the tools and skills just step by step thinking about how is that we're actually engaging and, and learning from scripture and growing in the way that we use scripture. Okay, I'll just see how far this... Um... Okay, there is it all. Do you see it? Don't look at it. It's coming up in a moment and I'm going to give you each a um, copy of it uh, in a sec as well too so you can look at it. But I don't want to give it to you now because you won't be listening to me. You'll just be absorbed in that. Okay. If you're taking notes, if you're a note taker at church, then the blessings of the Lord upon you. If you're a, I'm going to remember it later, then um, there's no hope for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> That could almost be lesson number one. Take notes, remember, think about things, mull them over and so forth. Monica's always there encouraging in the front row and she's always taking, taking notes, like wrong, wrong. <laughs> okay, so when we're thinking about scripture to start off with, before we dive into any particular um, issue, I'll be in two weeks, before we get to some of the difficult questions about scripture, let's just start off with this fundamental truth which encourages us all, that God desires to be known, that God wants to be communicating into our life. It's a startling Jewish and Christian claim, isn't it, that the God, the creator of the universe, is not so remote and uninterested in what human beings do and who they are, but rather knows us intimately and has actively sought us out, has actively wanted to be in a kind of relationship with us. God is personal and relational. Okay? As Christians, we believe that God is a triune, that God is Father, Son, and Spirit, a relational being that in pure freedom and pure love has reached out to uh, basically be in a relationship with his creation. And his ultimate purpose is basically revealed to be this communion between God and human beings where we will be known and we will know even as we are known. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. How do we know God? Well, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but we think about God is beyond every, anything that is made. God is far above and cannot be described simply in terms of things that are made. And so that is part of what we find sometimes talked about in scripture is that everything that we see, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. Or in Romans chapter 1, that anything that, that God's power and his divinity um, is known through the things that are made. That creation itself doesn't actually explain its own origin. It can't explain its existence. Um, famously, there have been a number of arguments they are watertight, but they point to a reality, I think, is that creation cannot explain its existence and you end up having to ask, there's something more than what is made that has brought what is made into existence. And that is who, that is what, we call God. 
But what we would say is that the only way we actually know God is because God wants to be known. You can't find your way to God. That God didn't want to be known and got found out by human beings. God has always wanted to be known and can't be known without um, revealing himself. So we think about that in terms of the creation. But then more importantly, God is known, revealing himself through his mighty acts in history, the people of Israel. That is both acted and spoken to Israel. It's what we call special revelation in the, uh, the fancy books. And um, basically we discover that God has spoken, as Hebrews 1 tells us, in the past to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ. So God has disclosed through saving acts, words, in the time of Abraham, life of Israel, reaching their climax in the life, teaching and salvific achievement of Jesus, and then issuing further in the ministry of the apostles and his co-workers, recorded for us in the biblical text. So finally we have got to the Bible, but the Bible comes at the end, if you like, or during God's economy, you might say, of, of salvation. As he reveals himself, as he speaks to the prophets, then things become written down uh, at the end of that. Jesus never wrote anything that we know of. Um, everything that we have is a witness to Jesus Christ. Okay, so the Bible is part of God's revelation, but God also reveals himself and the Bible is also a witness to that revelation. It's when Christians are not like Muslims. We basically don't just have a holy book that uh, a prophet shows up and says, here are God's instructions, read this, it's all here. For us, we have a history with God. We have a history where God has come and interacted with us, which has been written down for us as well. And then we also see and believe that there is something special about the book in which these things are written. But Christian faith is not a Bible-centred faith. It's a Christ-centred faith. It's centred on Jesus the Messiah. But it is certainly focused on the Bible so far as it tells us about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us about who Jesus is. It tells us about the Spirit of Christ in the world and we believe in its inspiration. But even saying that, we might be assuming a few different things and we're going we're gonna to get to that because it becomes important for how we interact with Scripture. Because if we just pick up the Bible and says, God says, I don't know how many were baptised in Corinth, we've obviously made an error. Even if we say, the Bible says, as though it's all speaking with one uniform voice, that can also be a problem. If in one part it says, you've heard it said, Jesus, referring to eye for an eye, truth for truth, and saying we've gone beyond that, we shouldn't just talk about the Bible speaking. So here's what a habit, I suppose, that we need to get ourselves into. And this will come um, with a scary chart in a moment. But I just want to think about when we're reading, for instance, a gospel, we don't just simply say God says, or we don't just simply say the Bible says. What we should say is, 
In one instance, Matthew says. Matthew says such and such about Jesus. Or Matthew says that Jesus says such and such. The reason is not because, oh my goodness, all it's just purely human and massively contradictory or anything like that. So let's just put that panic aside. It's about understanding the particularity of each part of what we actually read in the Bible. As some have said, the Bible is a book, but it's also like a library of books. You've got Psalms, you've got the Torah, and you've got uh, law, you've got ritual commands and so forth. You've got prophetic writings, you've got apocalypses, like Daniel and things like that. Then you've got things called Gospels, which are kind of like and proclamations and biographies tied together. Then you've got letters written between churches or from one person to a church. You've got, again, an apocalypse at the end of uh, the book of Revelation. You've got a sermon of sorts in Hebrews. So you have all sorts of different things put together in this library called the Bible through which God speaks to us. But it's also the way the apostles speak to us. It's also the way that the writers of different books speak to us. Or sometimes they're not even speaking to us at all, but we're overhearing what they're saying. Really, this is, um, this is almost Bible 101 in one sense, because it's simply saying, look, what's the Bible made up of, and how does each part of it speak, and how can I treat it seriously so that I can actually hear what God is saying to us and, how, and what the church and the pastor is saying to us, etc. I forgot to say at the start is that you can interrupt me at any time and then I'll throw you out. You can interrupt me at any time and ask a question or say, oh, could you just clarify that? That sounded like you, I think you're saying this. Um, feel free to do that and we'll also have questions at the end if you just want to mull something over um, as well. Okay, so what I'm saying is that we need to understand that scripture is made up of all sorts of different bits and pieces, all sorts of different genres. And part of reading that well is this, and you can start hanging out if you like, um, Damo. Okay, here it comes. No! Now, can you actually see that? Okay, from there? The good thing is because I'm giving you a diagram, you don't, need to, you don't need to try to write it down and you can take it away and you can mull it over and think about it or screw it up and put it in your bin, but God will see it. So, what's going on here? Because we're, we're, we're going to be thinking about different issues. Great if the Bible just tells you, you need to think this, the end. But actually, as we've seen over the last couple of months, God draws us into a relationship where we're called to use discernment and wisdom and God speaks to us through scripture but then we also know to think about what does that mean for actually how we will live this particular uh, in the light of a particular question and then what are some of the other uh, resources that we draw upon uh, as we integrate with scripture and what I've done here is I've basically made everything complicated which is kind of should be my tagline for my time here um, there's, but there's a difference between complicating something that's simple and just taking account of something which is complex. And part of what we're going to do is actually recognise complexity, 
take the panic out of it if there is any and then just say okay how do we sort of work through this because God has given us these scriptures as they are with some complexity and questions in our minds part of his design that's how I take it all right so basically what I see us doing is that when we're coming up with a question, what we're trying to do is say, what does the ancient text, the Bible, God's word, actually have to say to us in our contemporary world? So we live in a world that lies us there, but lots of different questions and ideas and issues and things like that. But we want to actually live faithfully in such a way that we are drawing and hearing scripture, both of those things, hearing, but also discerning and uh, seeking to understand implications and so forth. Okay, from the ancient world to our contemporary um, life world. And basically what we have here, it's not very easy to see there, I'm sorry, but basically what we have is a series of circles. Okay, no one comes to read anything and no one can actually read anything from some kind of blank slate. We all have some ideas and thoughts about reality and how to read and we have some ideas already about what the Bible's about and so forth and we come to those already. That's fine. Part of what we do is read scriptures, which surely is we have some of our ideas challenged as well. About the meaning of a particular passage, or maybe about how it fits together, or you know, beyond that, maybe a, a shift in theology of some kind or another. But at each point, what we want to have, our central um, controlling idea, you might say, is the Lordship of Jesus risen from the dead, the triune God, basically the faith that is common to all Christians. So there's nothing, I just, just in case, um, my imaginary question back there, I just saw them raise their hand and said, is this liberal? And no, it's not. It's, it's just normal. Okay. So um, this actually came out of an evangelical theology class that I taught. So, okay. So thinking about the basic movement is moving from the texts, integrating texts together, and then thinking how they relate to other parts of life. So... Well, start off there, as you see, there's big, the big arrows, so it's all good. The big arrows moving from the text to the world. But at each point, there's kind of like an arrow sort of pointing back, because as you continue to read, you think about the big, bigger pictures of things, influences the way you read those texts. So we start off with what we call exegesis, which is simply reading a text very closely, slowly, and understanding its genre, understanding its logic, understanding it's what we understand its message to be and so forth. So as an example, you might be reading Sermon on the Mount. And so you're reading maybe Matthew chapter 5. And you're reading that and you're saying, oh, um, be perfect as my heavenly Father's perfect. You're going, eh, okay, I've got a, maybe there's a theological question arising there for me. Um, you might be thinking, oh, there's a question of biblical theology. That sounds a bit like Leviticus. Be holy even as I am holy. So you're reading through the text, picking up questions, seeking to understand the logic. But you don't just always want to be reading a small part of the text. You want to say, I want to understand not just Matthew chapter 5 and this little part here. I want to understand what Matthew has to say. How is Matthew witnessing to the truth of the gospel? What is Matthew telling me about God? What is Matthew telling me about being part of the people of God? What's Matthew telling me about humanity? What's he telling me about the shape of an ethical, moral, faithful life? I want to hear what Matthew has to say and, back of my own thing, 
what God is going to tell me through Matthew, but not apart from Matthew. Okay? So the human and divine are there together in some way. So there we are. We're reading, we're doing exegesis, but they're thinking we want to actually do what we call biblical theology. I want to understand what's happening in Matthew. What's Matthew's theology? Now, hang on. This is part of a collection of Gospels. We've got Matthew, Mark and Luke, and, and John is kind of sitting there on the side, what we call the synoptics, and then the fourth Gospel is included in the group, but we're sort of looking sideways going, what's going on here? This is a bit different. But we've got, what's the theology of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke? And then if we bring in John there, so is there a sort of a theology that we can pick up from the four Gospels. Hang on, this is part of a whole new set of scripture, isn't it? New Testament. What's the New Testament theology of whatever it is we're looking at? So what we'll do is trying to see the connection. And then we think, hang on a minute, but the New Testament is actually trying to bring the climax of the story of the Old Testament here. So we want to think, is there such a thing as a biblical theology? What does that look like? But we don't just start with a kind of a, a big flat slab of ideas and try to make everything fit together as if everything is saying precisely the same thing and we'll look at that when we get to specific details but what we're trying to do is we're moving in a sense between the whole and the parts when I'm doing exegesis I don't want to come up with a crazy idea just from reading a particular text um, I have a potential member of my family They'll never see this sermon. Part of our fringe Christian group. We can argue about particular texts, divorced from everything else, in such a way that, uh, you know, after 30 minutes we can walk down and join the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, down there. Texts which on their own say, well, yes, it doesn't look like Jesus is actually equal with God there, or actually divine. If you just read the text, if you just read what the Bible says here, we can see that Jesus is not God. But what do we need to do? We need to see that in light of other texts. If you look at uh, John, for instance. John's Gospel, you find a statement like, the Father is greater than I. Um, you, know, not, you know, top ten of Jehovah's Witnesses' favourite texts. Same, but we want to say, what's the theology of John? Okay, here's one to make it slightly worse. Jesus says after his ascension, I'm going now to ascend to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Oh, okay, panic. Let's look more broadly at the theology of John in terms of who Christ is. Ah, here we see something where there's a question about whether Jesus is making himself appear equal to God. Okay, maybe. Oh, let's go back to the beginning of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and in the Greek, God was the Word. Okay, and then that Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So it's not enough, is it, to just to quote a Bible text in theology or even in ethics, okay? What we call proof texts. You have an idea, here's a series of words that I found in the Bible that says that, Tick, I win. Hang on a minute. Now someone has another series of words over here and it says the opposite. Oh, okay, they win or not, nah, there's no hope in knowing. So we've got to be a bit more sophisticated, don't we, in a good way. 
than that, than just quoting little text, thinking that we've proved an idea, is precisely why, um, you've probably seen this, uh, who's a fan of um, uh, the West Wing? Anyone? So, so, because you're all Australians. Okay. I've actually not watched the whole thing through, but I do recall seeing a, an episode which had drawn upon a, a well-known um, uh, critique of the Christians using the Bible, which was basically, you're critical of homosexuality, but look over here in Leviticus, the same place you're critical of homosexuality here, there's stuff about mixing um, you know, different types of fabric together, um, or there's, you know, don't eat shellfish and don't eat crabs and whatever else. Therefore, looking at all these individual verses, what do we learn? Well, Christians are just arbitrary in the way they use the Bible. And you can prove anything from the Bible, which, of course, you've heard people say before. So the un really, the only way around that question is to show people well how to read and study the Bible how to articulate its message and how to articulate what different texts mean. Which means, again, you've got to put some work in, you've got to put some effort in. Okay? We can't just say, oh, well, you know, someone says something, God will sort it out, or whatever. We are actually responsible to use scripture well, both for each other and also in giving a defence of our faith, an apologia. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. Okay, so close reading, but then it needs to be sort of synthesised with other parts of scripture. Okay, but over in the other part here, we've got said, systematic theology, which is interacting as well, with questions of ethics, philosophy, I guess you'd say the culture, what we call practical theology. Um, you know, when we talk about what we're doing here in church, it's often an area of practical theology. And one of the questions might be, why is it that all the Christians talk about their particular way of doing church and seem to say, see, it's there in the Bible. The Catholics, see, it's there in the Bible. Lutherans, see, it's there in the Bible. The Baptists, see, it's there in the Bible. Us, we're correct here in the Bible. Because in a sense, there is this feedback thing happening. There are ideas that we have that we, in a sense, look for justification, look for verification, look for backup um, when we're reading. So that's why it's this process. That's always happening. We have ideas, we go back to scripture. If we're reading scripture closely and well, hopefully some of our ideas have been challenged in that too. And then we have, and this is actually the most boring part of going to theological college, depending on your lecturer, is actually the person who teaches church history. But actually, if church history is taught well, what it does, it's fantastic. Because what it does is it shows you how that process has worked in history. How have other Christians earlier in history read scripture? How do they think it connected together? How do they connect it with the ideas and the cultural uh, issues of their day? What were their ethical challenges and so forth that I actually tried to read in light of this? So what we find is actually that it's really helpful seeing both the example negatively and positively. You see like, doozy there, they did that really bad. Or, yeah, you can see what they're doing. That was quite good. We can learn from that. If you're part of a particular church tradition, like, say, if you're a Presbyterian, good chances are you're Reformed, Calvinistic, whatever. And so 
you probably have a very strong from historical theology sense of how you're supposed to read scripture. Um, that's the same with any other number of traditions too. That's just one I picked on. Um, but again, there's lots of different influences. You might say, oh, well, it's too hard. I just want to read the Bible. And also, I just want you to preach the Bible. Which is fine if we just want to keep talking about what happened then and not actually bring the truth of Scripture into the present time. If we want to actually learn to be faithful in the conditions of our time and ask what that looks like. But let me just make it a bit more simple, just for a moment. What if we did this? Single words. What we're basically saying is, the thing about the parts of scripture, like this is on the flip side of your um, handout. It's parts of scripture, smaller parts, has a fit with the bigger parts, has a fit with the whole. Uh, reason and experience. And you might say, I don't like the sound of that. It could be farting words. We all use reason. We're all called to use our reason. We're all called to have a renewed mind, a mind that thinks. And we're not to disparage what we learn in the world. Proverbs and other parts of wisdom both encourage us and also ask us to be careful about the limits of what we can uh, come up with in terms of human wisdom. But... Science, okay? We live in an age where everyone just wants to challenge science because, you know, YouTube, I'm an expert now, um, challenge, you know, a whole community of scientists spent years on something. It's not to say you can't ever criticise anything. It's not to say you can't ask questions. But you might say in the realm of reason and science, there's something to be thought about. There are things to be thought about in relation to how we read scripture. Okay? Sometimes, for instance, we talked about this before, scripture will give us truth, but it will do it through the mindset and worldview of the ancient Near East about what the world looks like, how that looks in relation to the stars and the sun and what under the earth looks like and so forth. Scripture isn't teaching us to think like that. It is teaching us through that. Same thing would actually, if you think about what happened today. We don't have the final science, as it were, okay? So let's say the scripture was being written today and it was written in ways that would make us happy in terms of present scientific understanding. And then you have a bunch of Christians in the year uh, 2000 and, um, we'll say, 93, coming in and going, oh, my goodness, how could this be God's word? It's, got, it's full of outdated science, because things will be discovered, things will change, there'll be different ideas about things. The thing is that the truth of what God wants to tell us comes through those things is not telling us what to think about those things. That's an obvious example, I think, and it may well affect how we think about other questions as we come up to it. And then we have, I said uh, before, it's called historical theology, but you might just think about it in terms of tradition. We can think negatively about tradition. Um, in the Bible, um, closest word we have tradition is actually what Paul and others talk about in terms of the handing on of the message, handing on of the truth that's been received. I've been given the gospel and now I'm handing it on. That's tradition. 
But also, tradition can be a construction of human ideas around God's word that can sometimes be unhelpful. So Jesus tells the Pharisees at one point of this particular tradition that you have nullified the word of God by your tradition. Not because tradition per se is bad, it's just that tradition can go bad. Like reason can go bad, like Bible reading can go bad as well. So, yeah, it's not an automatic negative thing. But what it means is that we're drawing upon the history of the church and not imagining that a modern individual sitting there with a Bible, a very strange and unique situation to be in history, since most Christians through history haven't had their own Bible to read themselves. I mean, hooray that they have, but also ask other ways that we distort the reading of the Bible through reading it in an individualistic way. Tradition means that we're actually connected with the wider church, historically, both in terms of its mistakes, but probably more importantly, in terms of the wrestling that other people that are smarter than all of us have actually done with scripture before. That we're connected with people who are more godly than all of us, who in a devotional way have worked with scripture as well. So these are good things. And then we can think about our own, what we might say is our own experience, reason and experience. Too, we bring different histories and stories to scripture. And sometimes when someone says about how they read scripture, you think, how on earth did you get that? Um, and sometimes that's because it was a bad reading of scripture. Or sometimes it's like they have an insight that you don't have. Maybe to do with their history. One of the, we call this hermeneutics, interpreting scripture. One of the Examples is often brought out is that when someone says, blessed are the poor, who's probably in a better place to understand what being blessed as the poor person, uh, yeah, a rich person understand what that means or would a poor person understand what that means in the context of, um, of other forms of economic and, and other oppression? The place at which we come to scripture can also influence how we read it. Each of those arrows, this is where I you know, think uh, maybe I gen will generate more worry, but I'll, only for a moment. Part of the benefit of this, apart from being self-conscious about, okay, what am I doing as I'm reading scripture and um, maybe being more self-critical, is also in a sense being more tolerant of how other people read scripture as well. Because we all go through this process and there are different inputs to this. Each of these points, how you think maybe a part of Matthew's Gospel relates to its whole Gospel or how it relates to how the Gospels relate to Paul's letters or how the Gospels relate to uh, prophets, how it relates to other questions you might have about the nature of God. Maybe it might be, you know, we've had conversations here in church. You know, what's, how, does, how does God interact with the world? Does he control everything or is it actually more dynamic? How, how does that work? What's God's, we've had a great conversation about how does God relate, relate to time? There's not a single answer for Christians for that. Um, lots of different ideas about that. The thing is that, when we think about scripture, when we think about how it relates to modern knowledge or our own experience and so forth, how it relates to the tradition, what tradition is best, 
Reformed, Wesleyan, Catholic, Baptist, whatever, these are all judgments that we make. Some are small judgments that we make that we're not conscious of, and sometimes they're big judgments. But at each point, every single one of those arrows, you might say, points also to a judgment that you make when you're reading scripture, which is a potential for insight, also a potential of going wrong. If it's not the case, then, you know, all we basically need is just a a single piece of paper that tells us what the Bible is, its message. You've read it, you believe it, you, you affirm it. Good. Off you go then. But scripture draws us into this conversation and sometimes a struggle to understand what this means in relationship to our life. Okay. Scripture also comes to us. I'm nearly done. It's good news. The good news is Jesus Christ is dead and we'll be finished in five minutes. Scripture is a witnessing tradition. You think about the narratives of Scripture. What it does is it tells you about God's interaction in history. Especially the narratives. But not all of Scripture is narrative. But... We can kind of think of the whole stretch the metaphor and say, yeah, okay, it's all witnessing to what God is actually doing. It's a witnessing tradition that's passed on from generation to generation. Or you might think of scripture as an authoritative canon. It's the rule of faith, the rule of life. The Torah tells Israel how to actually live. So that's a great example uh, of that. I think we can stretch the metaphor somewhat over the rest of scripture as well. doesn't fit as easily in other parts, but you kind of get, here's the reality and then here's the kind of the vibe to an extent. Or you might think about certain parts of scripture as an inspired word, especially like prophecy. And you can stretch that idea. This is actually the one that sometimes we just go bang and slam over the whole of scripture and treat all of it as inspired in the same way. Okay, and we've used this example before. When Paul says, I can't remember who I baptised in Corinth, how far do you want to push that as being, oh, that was inspired. And God wanted that in there so that, you know, please. Um, but was God involved in the pulling together of Scripture in different ways? Yes, that's what we believe. And we believe that because it's a message about God, but it's also, it's fruit, if you like is inspiring and so because it's inspiring we also think of that god himself has inspired it but not all of it in the same way or maybe it's like an experienced revelation so you think about daniel getting dreams and writing things down and experiencing something or you might think about different testimonies think about Stephen, think about Paul's own testimony and that as well. You might think about constructing like a theological argument like Romans or something like that, that it's a kind of experienced revelation of sorts. There's lots of different ways we come to different parts of scripture and in a sense, you bundle all those together and think about nonetheless how they're also different, Okay. So when you are looking at a statement in scripture that you are 
asked or commanded to affirm. And then over here you find a psalm singing about something, maybe assuming something, maybe in a hugely metaphorical way making a statement. Is that the same thing as a revelation from God about a particular thing? Part of you, you can see part of this when you think about genre. The Bible, as you read it, its different parts will often be trying to convince you of something. Okay, so we're reading Romans at the moment. Paul is trying to convince people in Rome. If he was uh, Muhammad, he could have just written and said, "Here is what God says." Da, 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 da. Believe it. The end. But he's actually arguing. You think about the beginning of Luke's gospel. I went about all these things that are being fulfilled amongst us. So I'm looking at scripture and I'm talking to eyewitnesses and now I'm presenting it to you to believe. I'm trying to persuade you. It's not just, why do we believe Luke? Because it's an inspired gospel? Well, you wouldn't need to do all the work. You just need to hear from God dictated. Yep, 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 yep. And Jesus said what then? Okay, yep, yep. No, instead he goes against eyewitnesses. He looks at scripture, thinks about how it's fulfilled. And mysteriously, in all that process, we see that God, or we believe that God has inspired all of this together. But it's the work that got put into it. It's the presentation of evidence that actually is the thing that's meant to persuade us. All right, so I come to an end. Two things we need to be aware of as temptations when we think about scripture. It's all important as we come to think about different issues because it's very sad. Some such verse says this, that's the answer to that question. But it's going to be more complicated, but hopefully more rewarding as well. First thing is, as conservative Christians, we need to be aware of the temptation that we just treat everything as the word of God, which is true, and neglect the humanity of scripture, the work that goes into producing it. Most of the people which we have no idea who they were in particular. They're not named. Some are, but for the most part, no, we just don't know. They're not named in the text. So we need to affirm that God is speaking through scripture, but it also contains the human responses to God's work. Okay, when we read the Psalms, you're not reading a prophecy, you're reading a response to God's work, aren't you? But God's also speaking through that, encouraging us to think about how we ourselves will also respond to God's work in our time as well. So it's not um, mutually exclusive, but it also means when you read a Psalm, you don't read it like a prophecy, except in a couple of cases. But you generally don't read it as making an affirmation. Quick example, abortion debate. And then you get someone quoting, well, the Bible says that I was, you know, God has made me, knit me in the innermost parts. So there's a poetic expression affirming that God himself is involved in our making, but how far do you want to push that? Is that what's being revealed? Or is it a poetic, thankful expression of God's involvement? Is it a technical thing that we're supposed to understand that can therefore um, answer the abortion debate. We need to use scripture well. 
and thinking about different issues. The other temptation is that Christians leading toward a more liberal perspective may be tempted to focus just on those human elements of scripture and then finding the difficulties there as discounting or compromising claims to divine inspiration. But classically, Christians have always understood that God is at work through scripture and at work through all the different variety of human means and elements in communicating that truth. Scripture does a whole lot of different things. It's not just making assertions. It's encouraging, it's teaching, it's um, affirming us in different ways, it's commanding, it's eliciting praise and thanks. It's doing a whole lot of things. And that is, in fact, where I'll leave us is when we come back, is that one of the fundamental questions, what's the genre of scripture and what is scripture doing in this instance? What is the person who wrote it doing? What are they seeking to not, not just achieve, but what's the manner in which they're doing it? Are they making a statement, a promise, a sort of forming our imagination in some form? There's a whole lot of different things that scripture does. Now, the good thing is, as painful as that was for many of you, we don't have to refer to it in any detail as we're going through because we've already said it. But it might be from time to time as we're going through, I'll say, ah, Remember that? Here's what's going on in the interaction between these two different things. Something for you to consider. God loves you. You have all survived this this morning. Um, look forward to seeing you in the next two weeks as we go through a number of different issues together, as we seek to be encouraged, how God will speak to us in the complexities of our lives and let us all Set ourselves to be faithful to that task as well in Jesus' name.